Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello and welcome to Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. I'm your host, Adam Conover. And I'm also the host of Adam Ruins Everything, a television show on True TV. You can find clips and full episodes of that show. And look, it's a really cool show. We we tell you the awful truth behind every misconception you've ever had in your whole life. That's basically the premise. Um, it's You can find clips and full episodes at TrueTV.com slash Adam Ruins Everything and the Watch True TV app. So normally on this show, I talk to researchers, academics, and experts about the work they do and why it's so important and cool. Today we're changing that up a little bit. I'm going to talk to one of of my co-stars of Adam Ruins Everything, Haley Marie Norman, who appeared on last season's Adam Ruins Everything. If you might have seen, we had a whole big plot line where my character falls in love with her, and then uh, we go on, I, I interrupt her in the bathroom, and I bother her, and then, oh, there's a thrilling conclusion, which if you haven't seen the show, I don't want to spoil for you. We'll actually get into it in the interview, so it'll be spoiled for you in about 30 seconds. So look, this one's a little bit different. She's just a friend of mine who I always enjoy talking to. She's one of the most charismatic and fun people you'll ever meet. I know the, the audience of our show loves her, so we said, hey, let's do a podcast where we chat with her. Um, and I know that everyone who watches the show loves her, so we said, hey, let's do a podcast where we hang out and have some fun. So that's what you're going to hear this week. Uh, I'm so excited to have Haley join us in the studio today. So hey, let's get to the interview. Haley, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> that's That's the kind of... That right there is the kind of excitement that makes people want Haley Marie Norman <laughs> in their project. You, you have you have such a you have such like a uh, an upbeat presence that is like it makes you very fun to be around. Oh, that's so sweet. I feel like it's 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 so genuine because I just I had such a like an amazing time being on Adam Ruins Everything, and so I feel like I'm like extra upbeat around you guys. But it's just because I'm like truly so excited to be around you guys. <laughs> well, you I mean the the audience of our show really kind of latched on to you a little bit specifically people tweeted me all the time <laughs> like no why did you kill Haley why did Haley die I ship Adam and that's the funniest part when people say people literally tweet me and they're like I shipped Adam and Haley so if you guys don't know shipping is when people decide that two people in a show are destined to be yes. together so they say it's a verb I ship as in I think they should be in a relationship together and I was like this is crazy because we're we're 95% an informational show and then the beginning of the ending of the episodes we said we'll put little story beats in and the episode was Adam sees Haley and he's like ooh I kind of like her and then he bothers her in one episode and then they almost go on a date um, but she but she, she dies. <laughs> like, yes. like it's like the tiniest little relationship. But they but, loved it. But they loved it. People were like, Oh, we want we wanna see them get together and they were heartbroken when your character and by the way, your character's death is the most non of you literally slip and fall and hit your head and die. And people are like, I feel like people will never get over it. There's like no, everywhere I go, people will come up to me and they'll be like, I loved you on Adam Ruins Everything. 
I'm so mad you died. Like, I literally, I almost texted you about this because I literally was at a Black Lives Matter meeting like a month ago. And this woman came up to me and she was like, I am so mad. And I was like, yeah, I'm so mad too. Though you, you know, blah, blah. And then she's like, no, no, no. I'm mad that they killed you on Adam Ruins everything. Well, I didn't know that that was, I didn't know that that was part of the Black Lives Matter platform, that they also worried about fictional deaths. Um, yeah. no. Oh my God, that's so funny. It's a little fictional black deaths. Jesus. Oh my not... God, it was it was it was really funny. It was it was after the meeting, and it was just like you've got fans everywhere. You have fans literally everywhere. Um, but I do get a lot of those. I get those same tweets. People, you know. And I'm always like, which ones do I like? Because uh, you also did a jail episode. Yeah. And someone was like, actually, Adam, you're the one that should be locked up for killing Haley Marino. And I was like, Jeez. okay. I was like, that one seems really aggressive. I won't like that one. <laughs> that's a little That's a little intense. Yeah. Also, well, people, I'm happy that people know that I write the show to the extent, I mean, we have a writer's room, but that they know I'm creatively, you know, in control of it to the, where they, they know, they're watching the show and they simultaneously know it's me, the person killing your character. Yes. Um, um, but, uh, well, yeah, it's, well, it was to the point that when, after we, you know, wrote the character dying, uh, I was like, oh, I'm kind of, I'm bummed Haley can't be on the show Aww. anymore because it was, you're like, uh, it, it was so fun to have you there and you're, you know, you're so fun to watch on screen, but, uh, you know, and there was a lot of talk in the writer's room of like, well, could she like come back as a ghost? Cause like, and people have asked that cause they know that our show kind of does anything and yeah. they're like, oh, she could come back as a ghost or something. I'm like, no, the, the point of the episode is that Adam, my, my character of Adam had to learn what death is and had to like, you know, that's the whole point is that yeah. like, you can't take it back, you know, that like, it's something that you can't. The, you know that's sort of the striking thing about it that you you can't uh, you can't learn it away you can't wish it away it's so final and there's no getting out of it and I was like well if we bring her back in some way that's gonna like ruin that message um, but on the other hand it's like well I wish Haley could be on set again oh that's so sweet <laughs> that means so much to me it was like it, that's a, that set was the best environment it was just so lovely to be a part of it it uh, truly was I'm really I'm really happy you said it. it's very important to me that when people there's all different shows that people work on you know people work in different writers people go on different sets and there's good shows and bad shows but you also hear stories about people say oh my god that's a great show but like oh I hated working on it yeah. or like the person like it was so tense or whatever you hear those things it was always very important to me when we were making the show that like I want people to leave and go like I had a great time working on that I was treated respectfully you know uh, you know my creative voice got out there or I got to have fun or or just at least or or even just the food was good or whatever <laughs> you know I just want to make sure that it's like that people that people feel like they're treated well so i'm really glad i'm really glad to hear that um yeah. well how did you how did you get started in in uh in at were you you did you get were you a little baby i was a little baby a little tiny baby um you're a baby a actor person yes i was a baby actor person um so i was actually so i wanted to be an actress my whole life like mm -hmm. i don't remember ever wanting to do anything else um and so when I was a little girl, I was discovered by Cindy Crawford. I was like, at, isn't that so funny? <laughs> yes. I was at a restaurant in Malibu and she like, I was with my dad and she came up to my dad and she was like, you, you need to get your kid into modeling. And she gave us her agent's <laughs> business card and my parents called. <laughs> Are you kidding? No, I know. It seems like such a lie. How I've, old were you? I would think I was like, I was maybe like six. I've asked my parents multiple times, like, did that really happen? Are you lying to me? And they both swear, hands down, that that, that, that happened. Okay, first of all, 
First of all, that sounds like a creepy thing for Cindy Crawford to be doing to going to be going up to parents of children being like, "Hey, I'm Cindy Crawford. Let me tell you." Your baby's hot. Is oh that what's God. going on? Or what is oh it? Like, I'm so scared that like one day Cindy Crawford's going to hear this story and be like, that's a total lie. <laughs> Haley Marie Norman's a liar. But my my parents swear up and down that this actually happened. Wow. Um, and I did start like doing print work and stuff after that. So I'm just like choosing to believe them. I'm choosing to believe them. <laughs> Although my dad did like take a photo of mine and like glue it on a Wheaties box and for the longest time I thought I was on a Wheaties box. Well, you thought you believed him. You were like you were like Because I, I was just so young. I was you so You're like I scored the Wheaties account. <laughs> I'm on Wheaties. It's funny though cuz I have friends who similarly wanted to be actors or models when they were kids, but I have more than one friend whose parents were suckered by, like, a scammy child oh, modeling yeah. agency to be like, they're like, your kids got the goods. Yeah. You got to buy $1,000 of headshots. <laughs> and then they do. And so I have multiple friends who have their kid headshots oh, um, of, from their non-existent child acting careers where it was sort of like, pay, you know, like paying for the for the dream of maybe. Uh, but you actually did it. You were actually, actually working as a it. kid. Yeah, I feel like those scams happen so much, but maybe like less in L.A. Or my mm. parents aren't in the industry, but I think because we are in L.A. And, and I do have like some distant relatives that are in it, they were like aware of those scams. So we got lucky because that is a real thing. So I started modeling when I was a kid. I started modeling like all the time when I was a kid um, and doing like theater and commercials and little television shows. And then by the time I got to high school, um, I transferred because I also like loved school. So I mm. went I my first two years, I went to like an all girls school and then I transferred to a performing arts high school my last two years. And then after that, I went to a theater conservatory. And so when I was in high school and when I was at the theater conservatory, I wasn't like pursuing acting because I was just studying it. But I was really lucky because when I graduated, I just started like working you know, I just started. I just started like working regularly. Yeah. Do you feel? Do you feel like? Um, do you feel lucky that that it was that that stuff worked out? Because so many people do those yeah. things, and and like they go to the performing arts high school, and they're like, I'm gonna be an actor, and then it never, it never happens, and then yeah. it's it's like I, you know what I mean? Like it. I, I always have that in the back of my head when you know, even in my own position, is it's almost like. Uh, Oh, what's the word for um, it, it's like survivor's guilt or whatever that like uh, that when I think about like working, you know, in the trenches, like as a young comic, like trying to get, you know, like oh, open mics and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I like, uh, you know, I'm the one who's working now. But I think yeah. about everybody else. who so I'm like, ah, they cared and they were just as funny as me. And they just but it didn't it didn't happen. You know, I definitely don't have guilt about it. <laughs> <laughs> But I, well, good, good, because guilt. I'm not saying guilt makes you a better person to feel guilty or anything, but um, I, uh, but yeah, I'm like the only person I know that's like still doing it. Mm. Um, and to be totally honest with you, there used to be a part of me that felt like, yeah, I really like, like I hung in there and I've sacrificed everything, and I'm, you know, because that's what it takes. But now, now, just that I've like gotten, like now that I'm just, I've gotten older and I'm can understand like the beauty of like a regular life and stuff I'm like oh I think that there is like kind of a power and a beauty to being like I'm not gonna chase this dream and it, it, like because really mm. success has so little to do with talent and it has so little to do with so many things so I do I do kind of understand why so many people give up and I and I think that that's really taking power into their own hands so so that was just like a mind a, a mind a, shift for me but. that's a really interesting way to put it yeah like so by not 
chasing it so hard, you're you're sort of taking away its power over you as a as a dream. Yeah, just sort of being like, okay, this is a this is a crazy this is a really crazy business. Um, yeah, there's no promise at the end. Like, really, you've invested your youth for something that might never pay off. Yeah, I feel like this is just so depressing. But um, I feel like there is a really a beauty to being like, well, I'm going to move back. Home. I mean, my home is LA, so really, I'm kind of stuck here doing this forever. But um, I feel like when people are like, you know, I'm going to move back home and get married and like have a family or whatever where, yeah. whereas before like the younger kind of maybe less understanding of life me would have been like they didn't have what it t- took to really like yeah. hang in there yeah now i'm like yeah that's like having a normal regular life is a beautiful thing you know yeah. and yeah it's it's a good point because it's I often think about you know just how lucky I am to be like doing the doing the show and doing everything else. Like I don't feel like I am doing the show because I like put in the time and I'm so great and everything. It's like, well, I'll give myself credit for what I'm good at, but also like it's an incredible amount of like privilege and luck and like being in the yeah. right place at just the right time. And just you know, if I go through like the story of like why we're sitting here today, there's so many things of like like a friend happened to give me just the right recommendation at exactly the time to get the job at College Humor that got me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's no amount of like working harder that could have made those things fall into place or like fighting or I'm going to chase that dream and I'm going to climb that mountain. It's like there's so there's so much about it that's seemingly random that yeah. that that like that. Yeah, it makes sense. Like that pushing is like something that is not like totally virtuous or connected yeah. like whether or not it happens yeah you think that yeah because i was one of those people that like i worked so hard and i didn't yeah. and i didn't have like a regular life like i was just so focused on what i was doing and i guess if i could go back in time i honestly wouldn't change anything because my career is flourishing i'm lucky i'm working you know um but actually you know what i would change and i think what makes it what makes it different is like because i came up through a theater conservatory and because my whole thing was being like this serious actress you know, there's this kind of, like, idea of what it means to be, like, a good actor. And it's, like, honoring the writer's <laughs> word, words and putting yourself, yeah. you know, and doing all this stuff. And I wish that I would have learned earlier to, like, really take a lot of that power back into my own hands and start writing myself. Because my yeah. friends now who are having the most success are people who told me um, – so when we were shooting Adam Rooms Everything, I remember having this conversation with Emily and she was like, I've never booked an acting job that was someone else's, like this for something that I auditioned for that was someone else's project. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's, and she's killing it. You know what I yeah. mean? She's one of the funniest she's comic so actresses. Funny. I know. Yeah. She's, so she's so funny. She's so good. And all my friends who are doing like really great are right now are people who are writing their own material and then are acting in it. Yeah. Um, but I came up through this different way that was like of, you know, learning Shakespeare. And I'm not saying that the, my friends who are writers and stuff didn't learn that, but like we like were where it was like you were you, you were an actor, you weren't a writer, you know? Yeah. Um, and so so now it's been really great for me to like write and create on my own and do my own uh, comedic things because I feel like that is it's not I was going to say the wave of like the future, but it's not even the future. It's like now. Like, I think that the the business has changed so much since I've been in it that I, I truly think you can really only get so far 
just from auditioning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I always thought that, like, you know, I I mean, you know, I act. Uh, I did, like, you know, theater in, yeah. in high school and college, too. And, like, you know, I act in, like, comedy stuff. Yeah. But then when I, uh, you know, I've always been a comedian, you know, um, in my in a sketch group where we're, like, writer-performers and then as a stand-up comic and stuff like that. And I remember even just realizing before I was working at all, going, like, oh, man, it's so much better to go to an audition as a comedian because then you're kind of, like, Hey, look, here's what I do, man. You know, like like this is like this is my comedic voice. I'm working on something myself on my own, you know, sort of like artist here, yeah. you know. And then like you can take it or leave it. Whereas like if all you're trying to do is is act like exclusively, you're sort of like at the mercy of those people in that room is like you're like, oh, I hope I hope you like me because I don't work at all if you don't. You know, yeah. Whereas like hopefully if you're a comedian, you're like, well, hey, I still got a I still got a, a spot tonight, you know, that I'm going to go do whether or not I book this, you know. Um, and so I always thought thought of that as being like, oh man, being an being an actor is like uh, kind of the hardest <laughs> the hardest yeah. thing because you have you kind of don't have you have so much less control over the over the work that you're doing. Yeah, it's I mean that's one hundred percent true. That's really true. And another thing too is like like we were talking about like I'm so lucky that when I graduated I like got an agent or actually I went back to the agent that I had as a kid and she got me working as an adult and then I transferred to like you know just bigger better like agents and management companies over time but some of my friends that are just like so talented and they've been doing this for so long like can't even get an agent you know so it is it's just a you know it's just a it's just a crazy business but I love it but yeah you're absolutely right like going into those rooms as a comedian is is amazing and it did it took me a while to sort of get to the point where I'm like well this is who I am and this is what I bring to the table and like hopefully it works out and if it doesn't oh well it's fine if it doesn't you know um because they uh, you know I was always taught that it was like it was our job to be exactly what they wanted and if and if we weren't then it was like on us like that I could have been like a better nerd or a better slave or whatever oh, the Jesus. role I was auditioning for. You know? Yeah, that's that's hard to be. That, that's like a weird <laughs> thing to instill in in a profession. It's like it's on you if you're not it like if you're not exactly what they want. But like a lot of times, those people in those rooms who are making those decisions like they're stupid and they don't know what they <laughs> yeah, want they or they're no or idea. they're making a wrong choice and like. Uh, yeah, it's so it's so weird to put yourself subservient to everyone you come in contact with yeah. in that way. Yeah. So and I and I think that that's part of the reason why like yeah, so many people that I like came up with stopped doing this. And yeah. so now I you know, now I don't do that. I'm like this is what I, I know that I'm good at what I do and I love I love this, you know. So it is just like it's either going to work out or not because that's another thing you, that you said like so many, like they don't know what they want, you know. They don't yeah. know what they want. They already have an idea in their head or there's already an offer out to someone or you know, yeah. or you get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are the four options. Um, uh, I have to ask about a specific job that I know that you did because you were on Deal or No Deal, were yes, you not? I was. You were one of the, you held the briefcase yes. on Deal or No Deal. Yes, I was number 25. I was the, mo- <laughs> yes. Wait, I didn't realize, I just have a lot of questions about this. I okay. didn't realize you had your own assigned number. Yes. So number 25 is like my favorite number now till the day I die. It's really? Like, if, if there's like open parking spaces somewhere and like there's one that's 25, I'm like, oh, I'll take that. Or like, when I go work out and there's like a locker and there's a locker number 25, I'm like, I get so annoyed if someone's already put their stuff in locker 25. So I'm it like, sounds like good experience if you <laughs> have a good relationship with the number, right? Because if you had a bad time, you would be like, I hate 25. I hate 25. Worst number ever. No, it was that that show was the first thing that like 
really put me on the map because they miked me for every episode, and they didn't do that with a, with really a lot of the girls. Mm. Um, they put they 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 put a microphone. On they you put a so microphone that... on me. Yeah. So me and Howie would interact like huh. regularly. They did like special episode. They did a whole episode around my hair. They did another episode where they let me be the banker. Um, wow. and, and then they did another episode where they let me open up all the cases. So for me, it was like like that that show was like everywhere I went. People were like, oh, my God, Haley. Or a lot of times I'd go number 25. Yeah. Um, and I became number 25 because my hair was just so – my hair was so big that when – on my first day there, the producer was like, your hair is so big, you have to be in the back. <laughs> <laughs> really? And so 25 was in the in, in the back. In the back Over row. to the corner. <laughs> but, like, it was and, – and that show, yeah, it was my grandma's favorite show because I came in – Man, I watched a lot of that yeah. show in, in, what, 2007 or whatever, okay. whenever it was. I don't know when it was. I just remember being in my, like, first shitty apartment out of college and we had, like, a little shitty, like, pre-HD TV. Yeah. But for some reason we're paying for ca- – I don't know why I was paying for cable at that point in my life, but I remember – me and my roommate Raphael, uh, uh, like what, just watching a lot of Deal or No Deal because it's very compelling, very compelling, yeah. like almost, almost like meditative television where it's just like this case. They're opening the cases and, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What was I, I mean? What what was that? experience like as a like as a human person which yeah. which you are to like be <laughs> standing on it you're like standing on stage holding a briefcase for like a good hour or so and then open it like no way longer those days were insanely long and that oh. was the thing that was like it sounds so dumb but it's like it was really like hard work and it's like doing like modeling stuff which i don't care i don't do mod like i don't model anymore but it really is like so much it's like a lot more work than people would think. So we were in like, you know, the, these little dresses that were all like perfectly tailored to all of us. So we would spend hours and hours just in wardrobe getting these dresses like perfectly fit to us. Oh. And like our bodies like kind of couldn't change a lot. Like they would notice every little like ounce or whatever. That, oh, like, really? They'd so be like, like, oh, we got to retailer the dress. They just wouldn't retail it that you'd get a call after the fitting that's like, you need to lose weight. Oh, my God. Like, you need to, you know, so that was like, and I'm not naturally, like, I'm a naturally, like, very curvy person. So I yeah. was, you know, I I just, you know, was, like, very regimented in, like, what I ate and, like, working out no matter what, like, every day. Wow. Um, so that's something I wouldn't want to have to do again. But so, and then, and then because the dresses would, like, wrinkle easier, like, depending on where we were in the game and if your number hadn't been called yet. Or if your number had been called but there was another contestant, sometimes we actually couldn't, like, sit down because it was so, like, fast-paced. So you'd be – and they wouldn't have time to, like, steam all of our dresses. So a lot of times after your number was called and you were backstage, you still had to be, like, standing because we were wearing these little dresses. So it was a lot of – I mean, it was a lot. And you're – I mean, when we would go backstage, we could take our heels off. But you're still standing on that stage for hours and hours. I mean, the days were, like – we would do like 14 hour days and that yeah. was only to Jeez. do like you know maybe an episode or two like it took a long long time wow yeah yeah but i did love it because it was i really did root for the contestants and <laughs> so it was really fun kind of being a part of like 
someone's dream and something that was like such a momentous occasion for them. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why like I had such a positive like the audience and people at home reacted so positively to me because like I genuinely was like really like rooting for these people. <laughs> and, like I think there was a couple episodes where like I started crying if <laughs> someone did it. <laughs> yeah, there was one of those game shows that did a really good job of like making you identify with a person and making it really intense. Yeah. Um uh I remember what was it? I heard a podcast what's about or or read an article somewhere about like the amount of money that the uh, banker offers is actually this really interesting example of like uh, psychological manipulation where they use like loss aversion, which is the idea that like people are uh, people are more upset when they think they lost something than if they didn't have the opportunity to win. Does that make sense? Yeah, like if you think whoa. you have something and then you lose money, you're more you're more upset by the idea of losing something. So yeah, so, that's fascinating. So they use they used that like psychological method to like give people exactly the right offer, you know what I mean? Um, that would cause them to behave in the way that the show wanted to. Um, because that's like the only thing that's really the only like moving part of the show is like, what's the offer going to be? Yeah. Right? Cause everything else is basically random. Right. Yeah. And it's like, do I want to take this offer or not? Right. That's given to me. Right. That what you just described has to be like the most fascinating part of the show. Like I want to go home and Google that. That's so cool. Yeah. What's it called? The loss. It's called loss aversion. Loss aversion. Yeah. It's like loss aversion. And, Okay. And so basically they could get people – the idea was – you know, the whole idea is um, – okay, like if you were if you were doing it – if you're doing the show like a robot, they give you an offer uh, for – you know, there's like an expected value of what could potentially be in the rest of the briefcases and they give you an offer based on that. And so if you were a robot, you could like go beep boop, beep boop. Like the offer is more or less than whatever, you know, the average of everything left in the cases are, you yeah. know, if you were like being a perfectly rational gambler. But people see the amount – uh, of the offer as being like an amount of money that they already have, you know what I mean? So it's like, okay, you, you know, um, it's like the thing of, of like, okay, say say you're offered like ten grand, and there's like the one dollar case, there's the million dollar case, or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're like, and you're looking at it, and you're like, well, on average, if I did this a hundred times, I should I should open the next case or whatever. But people don't want to lose that guaranteed ten grand yeah. so much, you know, and so they would use that. I forget exactly uh, what the what the context of what I read was, but they you know they use that in order to uh, manipulate people, and so it was like a very interesting thing where uh, it's like one of the only game shows I I know of where it's sort of like the producers are kind of like working uh, like competing with the people playing in a certain way. It's yeah, re- it's really interesting. That's very cool. Well, I'm here talking to Haley Marie Norman. We'll be back in just a moment, so please stick around. From the dawn of time, one podcast has unlocked the secrets of science and technology to enrich the lives of billions. And now, after a year where they've unlocked the golden age of knowledge, they're about to hit warp speed and go stratospheric. Wait, hold up. On Ono, Ross, and Carrie, we don't make extraordinary claims. We investigate them. We go undercover with fringe religious groups, investigate paranormal claims, and we participate in pseudoscientific medical treatments and then report our findings to you. And yes, we've even investigated Scientology. Shh, Ross, shh. New episodes every month at MaximumFun.org. Ono, Ross, and Carrie. They show up so you don't have to. Welcome back to Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. I am here talking to one of my fellow actors who has appeared on the show, Haley Marie Norman. 
something I'm really interested in about people are what are your what are your sort of like core principles of how you orient yourself towards the world that that cause you to you know that like keep you going. Does that make sense? Yeah, I really care about social justice. Mm-hmm. I care about the awful things that are happening in in the world right now. And I, I was thinking, you know, when I was like driving here, I'm I'm like planning. I'm getting married soon. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah. Thank you. And uh, I like didn't want it. And it's funny. I th- you know I thought about you because it's like I didn't want a diamond. I don't want like a giant yeah. wedding. I don't even know if I want a wedding. Like we're really thinking about eloping. And that's something that I've always felt because the idea of just these like really extravagant weddings where people are spending so much money on it that just doesn't like jive with who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that was always like kind of such a I don't want to say like a radical thing to say, but I feel like people kind of like think weird about you if you're like, I don't want a big wedding. I don't care about that stuff. Or yeah. they feel like you're judging them or something. Well, a lot of people say that they don't want a big wedding and then they still get a big wedding. And then wedding. they still do a big wedding. Yeah. I'm definitely not doing that. Um, but so I was really happy like when you did your episode of the show that talked about you know, basically just how, like, weddings are a racket and stuff like yeah. that because I'm like, okay, good. Now I can, like, actually, like, point to, like, so- something else to be like, well, yeah, I mean, instead of people just, like, thinking that I'm being, like, weird or difficult or something by, like, not wanting a big wedding. That's good. Um, So those are kind of the things I care about. Did you think of any differently? You were in the in the death episode yeah. when you were – well, first of all, thank you for, for saying you got something out of the show that way. When you were – I'm curious when you were, like, lying in the coffin in the death episode, yeah. did, did you consider your own more at all <laughs> I did and it was really weird because everything I shot for like a while after that I died in and I started, <laughs> like literally every project and so then I started to be like what if I actually die like I started getting like weirdly superstitious about it and I was what like this act- is a sign like what if I actually died like right around that time so already the window for like it having been weird has passed but I was like what if I die soon? That's going to have meant that every project I did, I died in, and then I died for real. And then I, I started to kind of like freak myself out about it. And then I was like, oh, this is like weird and superstitious. I'm not going to die. I didn't die. But our, the idea of our... You, know, you are I'm, going to die one I'm day. Gonna die, I, and you know what? I've never been scared about dying. I've yeah. never been scared about dying. I've always been okay with it. Um, lately, I guess I've started to be to get worried about like the different ways that I don't want to die, but also, especially have, now I have a fiance and stuff. I have anxiety about the people around me dying. Mm, yeah, but I'm okay with dying. Yeah, but then it is weird to think because when you die, like your essence in this, like you're done. Yeah, and I mean, is it weird that sometimes I think I sometimes I think like a lot of people would be really sad if I died, and that gives me comfort. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, that's a common thing. I mean, I used to, I used to fantasize when I was a kid. When I was really, oh man, I had like the worst possible self esteem. But, but you know, I used to, I used to have the. Fa- I, this is not an uncommon fantasy, but I used to fantasy about fa- fantasize about faking my own death and then going to my funeral to hear people <laughs> say sad things about me. Yeah, um, and I was like, that's how I'll know. Like, and I, I honestly wanted, I just wanted, I wanted to hear the speeches so that I would know that people loved me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm glad that that's, that you just did that as a kid. Cause I'm still here as an adult being like, yeah, yeah. They'd be really sad if I died. Yeah. I wonder what they would say. Yeah. I actually, uh, yeah. I remember that when I, um, I, I remember that when, when, um, uh, my relationship with Lisa got, got started to get serious. I, I remember thinking that like, 
like picturing if something happened to me and then what her reaction yeah. would be. And that would make me very emotional. Um, uh, more than my own worry about myself dying, it would be about like what the react, you know, what the, what the impact on her that that would be. And that would, that that's what upsets me more uh, now. And I think that's, uh, that's part of what love is. <laughs> it's yeah, like, I guess It's so. like having that, ha- having that, uh, uh, caring about the other person's reaction more than your own, uh, more than how how it would impact you. I guess I don't know. There's something uh, I don't know. Think think about death is such a uh, it's one of those like like universal uh, things that is going to impact everyone. That is that is absolutely uh, final is the wrong word. It's like uh, supernatural in the degree to which the non-existence is is like inevitable and going to happen. Does that yeah. make sense? And so it's this. It, it does. It's like when you. When you think about it, it's when your is when your mind starts to like you know coil around and and like go to uh, more interesting places uh, because you uh, because you know it's like oh it's it's like the singularity you know the idea of the singularity yeah. it's like like where like past that point like everything is different you know yeah um, yeah uh, everything is different everything is different just like meeting people like loving a new person and stuff it's just like one like i was thinking that the other day because i was like oh i'm gonna have like in-laws now and these are (laughs) like i'm literally there's and and my fiance has like four sisters i'm like i'm just inviting more people into my life who i'm gonna be like sad about when they die or if something happens (laughs) and and it's like i kind of am at a point where i'm like i don't want to love another like one more human being or whatever i don't want to have to worry or be sad about like any other person because it's already like too much you know yeah. well that's the, the well that's the sort of like Ugh. that's the that's the like <laughs> paradox of love right is that like is that when you uh you get that joy but then you have that concern and that worry about about the other person in in a way that's really uh that that makes you like extremely vulnerable totally and, uh, i heard a great quote this is the this is the the um the I feel guilty for quoting Steve Jobs, but it's like Steve Jobs quote I heard once that that I think is great. That uh, and it's not about technology or iPhones. It's about it's about children, and it's uh, about like the problem with children. The problem with having a child. I was like, wow, this is so perfectly uh, put. Uh, is that it's like as though your heart were running around outside of your body and you can't control uh. it. It's like something that is like so vital to you is uh, you, you can't keep it safe because it's outside of you and it's going to go. It's like, fuck, like a piece of me is like running into the street and it's going to get hit by uh. a car. You know what I mean? It's like so. That, and I was like, wow, uh, I really don't want kids. Is what I heard after yeah, hearing that quote. That's so real. That's so real. I was like, that is too intense. That is too intense and vulnerable. I'm sure there are many good things that come with it, but that was my reaction to, you know, that's the that's sort of the agony, the ecstasy of it. But, uh, you know, that's that's like the weird irony of it is that is that you make yourself so vulnerable by by feeling that way about anyone or anything. Yeah, totally. Like even um, I was actually thinking that the just I don't know, maybe it was even last night. I was like, I understand that idea of like the parents like waiting up all night when their kids like not home and like, yeah, you know, and even like a mom, I just kept having a vision of like a mom, like chain smoking and being like, I couldn't sleep. You weren't home. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that. Like I like where you just feel so sick. Also, I'm and, and it's like I'm so I'm kind of in this situation where so. Um, so Sam, my fiance has a motorcycle. And so when I met him, Uh he, yeah, when I met him, we, I was like very into the motorcycle. Um, (laughs) I love the motorcycle. The motorcycle was very sexy. (laughs) We went on a 1100 mile road trip on this motorcycle. Whoa. Yeah. And it was like a great, it was an awesome, great time. That's cool. It was very cool. It was very cool. But right after that motorcycle trip, 
Um, I was in my car on the 101. I got hit by a drunk driver out of nowhere. There's nothing I could have really? done. Yes. There's nothing I could have done to avoid it. Um, I was I was stopped on the freeway. This girl came up. She hit me in an SUV. She was going 60 miles an hour, and I was stopped. And I was in a little Fiat, and she was in a big SUV. And so I, I got – like, my hip is messed up. My back is messed up. I had a concussion. I was like, oh my God. yeah, I was messed up, you know. As soon as it happened, I kept thinking in between trying not to pass out because I was like, I think I, should, I need to try to stay conscious. For, I would, that I was really happy Sam wasn't in the car with me, but that I could never let him get on that motorcycle again. And so now his motorcycle is in Illinois, and he's been wanting to, like, bring it back to L.A., and he's been putting it off for me. And I'm like, it's this thing because it's like I know how much the motorcycle means to him, and I want to let him have that, and I want to whatever, but, like – yeah. I'm like, you are, and he's being very sweet about it. And I know that he won't do the motorcycle if I don't want him to do the motorcycle. But I'm like, even that road, because I'm too injured now from my car accident to go with him from from Illinois to L.A. So I'm like, do you know what I would be going through yeah. those days where he was on a motorcycle trip? Be, <laughs> like, that can't happen, right? Yeah, that's really intense. I mean, it's so intense. I mean, he's going to. If he keeps riding the motorcycle, he's just going to die on the motorcycle. So, so something can happen, something right? Can, motorcycles are the most uh, – motorcycles are deadly. Everyone, They're deadly. Every motorcycle owner dies in a motorcycle oh accident. I think 100% of the – in my mind, they do. They, yeah. I mean, everyone I know who is who had a motorcycle and was alive, they, are, they have a permanent limp. They have, Something is always – and he's so lucky. Like, Sam has lived his life, like, very – you know – He's done whatever he wanted to do, yeah. and he's so lucky. And I'm yeah. like, listen, you've tested your life a hundred times. Now you're, you know, you're gonna get. You, you have to stop. Yeah. No, I'm gonna go home. That's the new thing I'm gonna use. I'm gonna be like Adam Conover says. Everyone who who <laughs> no, has no, a motorcycle no, 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 no. dies on a motorcycle. That's not a real stat. Don't I forgot sometimes that people believe everything that I say <laughs> as though it's a real stat. Folks at home, that is not an Adam Conover <laughs> fact checked stat. stat. That's just my personal belief. Is that is that a hundred percent? I mean, I am terrified of uh, yeah of I would never set foot on a motorcycle of well you don't stand on them but you know um uh, in any way it's just like that any kind of motion in that way makes me very yeah. uh, ma- makes me very upset. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had a friend, a really good friend of mine, uh, Adam Newman. Do you know Adam Newman? He's I a know. he's a comic, he, and I remember he got. I think what he did was he uh, he got a big gig. I forget what it was, and he was like, "I'm going to buy a motorcycle." And I was like, "All right, you're going to die on that motorcycle." He's like, "Come on, don't say that." I did it. I was trolling him. I was just, yeah. like, in order to, in order, I was, I was, I was busting balls. I was like, "You're going to die on that motorcycle." You know, you're going to die on that motorcycle. And he was like, "No, come on." Everyone says that. Oh, God. he got the motorcycle. And he was like, great. I'm so happy. And then I saw him a month later. I was like, hey, how's the motorcycle going? He's like, I, I sold it. It was too terrifying. I couldn't. I love it. I used to ride it. I ride. I rode it around two times. I had a great time. I can't do it. It's too It's too dangerous. Yeah. Like, And he was a guy who had spent years wanting one. I mean, I get how if you like engines, you're like, I'm fucking sitting on an engine attached to wheels. I get how it's cool. <laughs> but, oh, man. Yeah, it's not worth it. It's just too obvious. It's just too obvious how your death will come. You know? I'm so happy that that's how the Adam Newman story ended because when you started telling it, I was like, this story cannot end with this guy oh, dying. God. Please don't let the story end with this guy dying. I wouldn't dying. have started the story that way. Were they, you know Adam Newman? Funny story. He got a motorcycle and he died tragically, my good friend. Uh, that would be horrible if I did it that way. I heard once um, – this made me feel – because here's the – I'm not afraid of my death, but I do um, – 
get scared in situations where like if I'm driving or like if I'm waiting on a subway track or if I'm on a high place where I'll envision how I could die. And like I get a little wigged out if, you know, when your death is like just a, just a jump away, yes. you know, where like if you just swerve into those headlights or if you just like jump onto yes. those tracks or if you just, you know, and, and so I'll be like, huh, and, and it'll make me really tense and I'll want to get out of that situation. Like I'll go stand in the middle of a platform or I'll, you know, want to stop driving. Um, and I read somewhere, this is another unsourced fact, unfortunately, but that uh, there's a theory that when you're doing that, that's your when when you uh, mentally live out what that would be like, you know, you picture yourself jumping in front of the train and like your body being crumpled and it's like very un- upsetting. That's your brain stopping you from doing it. That like oh, when wow. you when you mentally rehearse it, that is like that that actually ensures that you won't do the thing, you know, even though it's like, yeah. you know, you're standing there and you're like, well, I could jump and maybe I will and I'd better back off. You know, that rehearsal is actually stopping you from from taking that taking that action. That's um, interesting because I it's like a, a survival mechanism when I'm in those situations, I will sometimes get anxiety because I'll be like, what if I just lost it right now and I jumped in front of those things? Like, so it's more of like, what if I have just some sort of crazy out of body experience where like I just make a really bad choice and I die? So my approach to it is different because it's in me like just having like a moment of insanity or something. But I, I bet that the out that the result of that is still the same, which is me just being like, yeah, I don't want to end up like crumpled on those train tracks. Mm-hmm. So let me like go to the middle or whatever. Um, okay, let me ask. Let me ask you with this. I know you're a big. I know you are a big animal person. Yes. And I know you're a, you're you're one of those. You're a vocal vegan. Yes. And you're an animal. You're an animal rights type person. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, and it's really interesting because um, we were having a we were having a conversation in our uh, writers' room uh, with some of the research and writing staff talking about like animal rights stuff, and I think a, a position that someone in our room had where where I'm like, I agree with this on certain days is that like, okay, even if I agree that, you know, I would like to reduce animal suffering and stuff like that, or that, you know, that, that it's, even if I were to agree that it's, that animals are things we should care about ethically, it, it's like, it shouldn't be number one on my list, right? That there's like way other, way more important stuff in the world and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think that's a reaction a lot of people have. And as someone who I know that's one of your main things that you, uh, care about, I'm curious, uh, how you you know uh, how you feel about that idea or how you how you respond to that kind of idea and and by the way I don't mean that to like yeah no I'm really l- happy you asked me this yeah. I think that's an amazing question because there is this idea because I'm also coming at it you know for I guess people who don't who are listening to this and don't know me or whatever I'm also a black woman so I'm coming at this from very, many different perspectives mm-hmm. my first idea is there's this notion there's this idea that I do believe in that. None of us are going to be free until all of us are free. And so that's Mm. one of the things that we talk about in Black Lives Matter. And that's the idea that – and actually Angela Davis was just talking about this. I got to see her speak and it was amazing. And that's the idea that all lives will matter once black lives matter. And so I'm only saying that to say there's this idea that like none of us can be free until all of us can be free. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that like the way that we treat animals in this country is is like – Horrid. And so I want all of us to have freedom, you know. But having said that, being a black woman, there are I have a lot of I know a lot of vegans. I've been in the vegan community for a long time. There are people who speak up just about animal rights and they don't speak up about when another, you know, innocent black person is shot. They're not speaking up about those things. And so there is a part of me and this is coming from an animal activist. But there is a part of me that's like, 
How do you only care about the suffering of animals and you don't care about the suffering of all human beings? Yeah. I can be an animal rights activist, but I can also be a human rights activist. I don't have to choose. I think that we can um, – this is all such very, like, sensitive topics and words that can be used around you or, like, against you. So I'm, like, I'm hoping that I'm, like, saying this all right <laughs> because I don't want anything I've said to be, like, to be misconstrued. But I think that – we can fight for multiple causes at the same time. Yeah. I don't think that people – we have to pick and choose what's more important to us and let another, you know, just great suffering happen because we're, like, too busy focused on another thing. I think that we can and we should tackle it all to create a more empathetic, peaceful world for all of us. Yeah. Um, because what we do to, like, minorities and women and stuff in this country is is awful. Yeah. Um. And what we do to animals is awful. Yeah. And so I'm going to fight for all of those things. I'm going to fight for every injustice that I see. Does that sort of answer your question? Uh, it raise, I mean, yeah, it answers part of it and it raises some yeah. interesting some interesting other ideas. I mean, how do you how do you feel about someone who sort of says so? Yeah, some you know someone who says uh, who only raises animal issues and then never talks about yeah. um, uh, anything pertaining to humans. Yeah. Right. You would disagree with that person. What about someone who says like, well, look, I I, I you know I'm only going to focus on human issues. You know what I mean? Like like I'm not concerned about animals that much does that make sense like if uh, someone who has the who has the flip side argument because because i sometimes it seems like uh there are days that i feel like uh you know i put them in a hierarchy you know what i mean yeah. i'm like well let's do humans first we'll do animals second yeah. i'll try to help out animals when i can but in general i'm i'm looking out for for people here you know what i mean um and and uh i could come up with a lot of high-minded reasons for that where i'm like well look humans are the ones who come up with ethics to begin with you know so we're always sort of talking about ourselves to a certain extent and and you know how much we care for each other has to come first you know and um you can even look at you know th- those are even you know you can even look at like environmental issues that way hey when we're talking about the environment we're talking about what it is for us, not for itself, you know, like right. about, about um, having sort of a human centered view of the world, you know. But I could also see, you know, someone making the argument that's like, no, when we're talking about animal rights, we're not just talking about, hey, you know, uh, uh, being vegan because it's better for humans. We're saying because those animals have like rights, right, like like rights the same as humans have rights, you know. And, um, and their suffering is real. I mean, these animals are really they're smart mm-hmm. um, and what they're put through is just. It's awful. It's so inhumane. Um, And yeah, on top of that, it's like destroying our own health, our environment, whatever. But if someone just cared about human rights issues, I'm not going to turn them away at the march. You know what I mean? I understand that. And I'm going to be like happy that they're with me, fighting with me. And I would much rather that than someone who... Um, I'd like that is something like I can understand and probably in the back of my head, I'd be like, we can work on that person. You know, that's something to me that I can relate to much more than someone who just puts animal rights yeah. over human okay. rights, because that is something I take issue with. Like if you only care about animals, like, cause there are a lot of shitty ass people. Oh, are we a lot of curse? Yeah. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> this ain't the radio. <laughs> there are a lot of shitty ass people out there who really care about animal rights and they don't care about humans. Yeah. And, and that is messed up, you know? So that's kind of what I feel about it. It's it's interesting. I'm just trying to figure out how I feel about, you know, there's a lot of sort of like, uh, you know, philosophical issues that I feel like I know my own stance on and like what, you know, how exactly I feel about animals as opposed to humans and what and what, you know, I I need to give them is uh, is something that I'm still trying to figure out for for myself. I've been, you know, I, I, you know, have been trying to eat less meat for years and, and, uh, you know, I eat I eat vegan probably like two meals a day, you know, but I have trouble going like 
you know, I, and I do that for a lot of reasons, you know, for environmental reasons, for economic reasons, for, you know, there's, there's a million reasons to eat less meat generally for health reasons. Right. Yeah. Um, and those are all fine reasons to do that. And those are even good reasons. If you want to go vegan all the way, I don't feel the need to do that, you know, personally, but, uh, there's, there's still an issue of, you know, I'm like, well, why is it that, you know, I, I also understand the intuitive appeal of the argument, just like you said, you know, um, uh, all lives will matter when black lives matter, you know, that it's like it's, that's argument of like how we care for the least of us says the most about us kind yeah. of thing. I can see someone applying that to animals as well as being a plausible ethical argument. I'm just not sure where I where I am on it. So, yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for coming to do the podcast. Seriously, thank you so much for having me. I ran in. I ran into John like a month ago, and he was like, "You, oh, we got to get you." John on the Wolf, podcast. our producer. Yes, yeah, so John yes. Wolf, the producer, and he mentioned having me on the podcast, and and I immediately kind of got like kind of anxious because I was like, "Okay, I really want to do that, but I don't want him to forget that like he said that. Is he going to remember? Are they really going to have me on?" <laughs> so when I got the invitation, I was like, "Yes, it happened, it happened." All right, okay. Well, I'll see you soon. Thanks for yes, coming by. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you once again for coming on the show, Haley. I hope you guys had fun. I certainly did. And that is it for Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. We will be back in two weeks. So please tune in. Our producer is Shara Morris. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend about the podcast and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you've been listening this whole time and you haven't subscribed on iTunes yet, you haven't just gone back and clicked that you're listening in some kind of preview mode. You're like on your web browser and you're listening to this, but you haven't subscribed in iTunes yet. Just get over there. Subscribe in iTunes or Google Play or even, I don't know, Stitcher or whatever. Get yourself a subscription. If you if you liked it this much to listen this far, subscribe and you'll get more. You're going to have a great time. And please don't forget to give us leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. That's the least you could do, to be honest. Again, Adam ruins everything. I don't mean to berate you guys. You know, it, we're we're on good terms. It's just you okay? everything and the Watch True TV app. Until then, we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.